This podcast is brought to you by Yosemark Mountain Equipment, offering expert advice on gear for powder and the backcountry, located at the corner of Ski Hill Road and 3rd Street in Driggs. And by Three Rivers Ranch Outfitters, offering winter trip planning services and selling gear from Patagonia, Orvis, Hatch, Rio, Sims, and more, located at 76 North Main Street in Driggs. As I'm saying this, it's spring. People are starting to ride single track, go hiking, but when I look up behind the mountains, I can still see tracks. People are still hitting the backcountry, and that means things can still go wrong. Two years ago, backcountry ski pioneer Steve Romeo died in Grand Teton National Park, and this year, one young man died just off Jackson Hole Mountain Resort on a peak called Puckerface. In both cases, along with the sympathy that deaths like this can bring out, some people were not as sensitive. In the comment section on the story about the slide on jhunderground.com, someone took offense to another person calling the 29-year-old who died a ski mountaineer. The comment read, Mountaineer? I'm sorry, but that's not what this is. They wandered over to Pucker, took a look, and said, let's go. They put themselves and the people who came to help them at risk of death. Let's be real here, folks. If you don't know, then don't go. Do you think that Puckerface slide was kind of an example of a moment where the the lessons that you learned from other accidents, including, you know, Steve Romeo's, that that seemed like a perfect time for those to kind of come into play? Yeah, I do think that was an example of an event that really kind of flared up those emotions for sure. I mean, I'm Scott Stunts. You're listening to Get Out the Podcast from the Teton Valley News. That's Zahan Bill Moria, an Exum ski guide and friend of Steve Romeo. He was on the podcast in February to read an article he wrote about the criticism and insensitivity that certain avalanches can bring out. I brought him back on to expand on some of the points he raised in that article, titled On Graciousness, and to ask if he's seen a change in the ski community since the article was published in the Avalanche Review. Before I ask him those questions, though, here's Zahan reading On Graciousness from the February 27th episode of Get Out the Podcast. The criticism was especially angering. It's close to two years since the incident, and many other close calls and fatalities have rocked the ski world since then. I watched it unfold again this winter after a young man was killed in the Jackson Hole side country. The blogs and letters erupted with comments about his stupidity, his misguidance, self-righteous hate mail flowed freely. I wondered, is this really the message we want to send to his family as they arrive in the Tetons to make sense of the confusing death of their child. I don't think so. After each of these events, I observe how there are always voices that cycle back into the same barrage of criticism. And in the midst of that, I also notice a pattern in myself. The further away I am from the victims of the incident, the easier it feels to point fingers and lay blame. I come back to my earlier confession. I know that I've made plenty of mistakes, but I haven't always paid the price. I have gotten lucky. We all have. And knowing that, we have to ask ourselves how we would expect to be treated if our mistakes, even small ones, had big consequences. Ultimately, it's a question of what kind of a culture we as mountain professionals foster in the larger mountain culture. The more incidents I observe, the more I'm trying to come down on the side of being gracious. There's another reason for being gracious. There is no standard for acceptable risk tolerance. There's a lot of freedom in the mountains, and while that freedom is something we all share, we use it very differently. I have kids, and I'm a mountain guide, and though I like skiing big terrain, 
I tend to be conservative about how and when I do that. Many of my friends come to the mountains as athletes, young, hungry, and ready to charge, and I have a lot of respect for that too. On March 7th, Steve was totally engaged, I'm sure, but ultimately his risk-reward lines intersected a different place on the graph. He tolerated a high level of risk. Personally, I don't think I could tolerate that level of risk. I would say at that level, maybe it's not worth it. However, I make peace with his decision to be there because I think to him it was worth it, not just on that day, but in his life. The reward was huge, so the risk was worth it. I write all this to make a suggestion. As a group of passionate skiers and riders and mountain people, let's recognize that these varying levels of risk tolerance are an integral part of the freedom of the mountains, and that risk tolerance is a deeply personal balance and choice. As leaders in our various mountain communities, let's commit to being gracious, recognizing that our personal level of risk tolerance isn't and shouldn't be normative for everyone. Let's continue to teach about decision-making and the finer points of snow science. Let's recognize mistakes when they're made, but let's do so with respect for our fallen brothers and sisters. And when tragedy does strike, let's not use these lessons to destroy the families and friends of the victims. They have enough pain to wade through without the finger-pointing. That's it. Uh, hey, Scott. How about now? Hey, yeah. It's going. It's going. Cool. Sounds good. Cool. So I think um, your your article or uh, the audio version of your article was probably was our most popular podcast so far. Well. And um, it was one of those things where I think a lot of people responded not only to the quality of your writing, but also, you know, what you were what you were writing about. For me, that that sort of uh, when you were talking about that risk calculation that directly hit on to sort of I was talking to uh, Josh Parker and Lynn, Lynn, Lynn and Lynn Wolf and they were you know talking about their own kind of risk calculation so I was wondering if we could just start off with you know when you're going on a on a backcountry trip how do you I mean I know it's a very complicated question but how do you go about sort of with that risk calculation for you personally Ooh, that is a complicated question do you mean specifically in realm of avalanches yeah i'd say we can start specifically when you're going skiing someplace yeah how do you start that calculation in your own mind yeah well you know i think that um it sort of depends on the kind of problem that you have because you know we have some problems during the winter that are Oh, and a quick note, this part does get a little jargony, but I kept it in because Zahan makes some good points here. Um, the only vocab word you really need to know is problem. In this case, when he says problem, he's talking about a potential avalanche. Okay, problem let's get back to the interview. Easier to handle. The, the problems that I feel like really stop me in my tracks are problems where the consequences are really high, but the likelihood of the accident happening is really low. And so... You know, when we're out there and perhaps it's storming and there's new load and fresh slabs building, then it can be pretty obvious that it's not the time to venture into really high hazard terrain. Um, whether the consequences are small or big, if the probability is high, then, you know, it's usually fairly straightforward. 
Um, and then there are those rare times when the probability uh, is really low and, you know, the consequences are also low. And then it's also really straightforward. That's when you can kind of really, you know, get after it. And often, you know, this time of year is that sort of scenario. But the problems that are really difficult are when you have um, a low probability but a really high consequence where you have deep slab problems that persist for months at a time. And chances are you're not going to trigger it, but um, the problem is there and you're aware that it's there. And if you do trigger it, it'll have fatal consequences. And I think that's kind of a scenario that separates a lot of people because some people, you know, are willing to go out and sort of flirt with the dragon a little bit. And, you know, for myself, I think I'm fairly conservative. So when we have those kinds of deep slab problems, then, and I believe that they're going to be in the areas that I'm skiing, I'll kind of avoid them altogether. Now, is that kind of that disconnect between, you know, you're saying that there's people sort of on either side of that line when you have those high risk type days, is that maybe what kind of leads to the disconnect, which leads to some of the, maybe some of the insensitive things being said after something happens in the backcountry? Yeah. You know, if you talk to people who skied here long before I arrived, they say that in the wintertime, you know, the backcountry culture was that you just didn't really venture into big avalanche terrain in the middle of winter. It just wasn't done. You chose conservative terrain almost no matter what the snowpack was doing. And then, you know, with the advent of open gates and the explosion in interest in the backcountry and digital beacon technology and fat skis and all these things that have made the backcountry much more attainable, much more popular, the wintertime sees all kinds of, you know, aggressive skiing. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard to separate whether that aggressive skiing is sensible or just totally irrational and risky. And I think that it is certainly the case that both types of behavior happen. And for a lot of people, their entrance to the backcountry is right out of the gates, either at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort or at Targhee. And, you know, that tends to be like a pretty aggressive, hard-charging crowd that gets on those slopes right after the storm, because if they don't, they're likely to be totally tracked up and there won't be anything left. And so that's kind of fostered, I think, a culture of being pretty aggressive. And I think there's a lot of backcountry skiers, more of the, you know, Teton Pass and Teton Park skiers, who are more of the kind of human-powered mentality, and they see that and they just kind of can't believe that people are being as brazen as they are. And so amongst that crowd, there's definitely, I think, a sense, you know, people should all together dial it back. And then when accidents do happen, it's really easy to just point the finger and say, well, I'm surprised it hasn't happened before, or I'm surprised it doesn't happen all the time because people are being so aggressive. Now, the the sort of trigger for your, your article on graciousness, that kind of came after... Um... Steve Romeo passed away, correct? Uh, yeah, that was probably the the strongest kind of impetus for that. But, you know, I, I've lost other friends and kind of heard similar comments or read similar comments. And then, yeah, so I, I think it was brewing before that, for sure. 
And that's what I was going to ask if that was one of those things where that may have been maybe the triggering event, but if it was something that had been building for, for some time before that. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And talking to Lynn and Josh and talking to other people about risk, how often when you're out there, do you think of, I mean, obviously when you're in the moment, you're going to think of it, but how often do you think of if something would go wrong? Have you ever thought about that? Like if something would go wrong on a particular day, what the reaction would be from other people? Oh, right. Um, you know, I don't think that that figures very much into my thinking at the time. I don't think it does. Is it just because that would be kind of hazardous to, I mean, to be, have that much, you know, thought of the, you kind of have to be in the moment when you're doing something like that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, I've heard people talk about like the post-mortem test, which is the idea that when you're standing at the top of the slope and you're about to drop in, you sort of think to yourself, how would this be written up if I was to get killed in an avalanche on this slope? Would it be that despite having done his due diligence and having been so careful, so-and-so was swept and killed in this avalanche? Or would it be, despite evidence to the contrary, said skier dropped in in the face of all this risk? And I think that could be, you know, maybe a useful tool to just sort of double check yourself and make sure that what you're doing makes sense. But it's not, I can't say it's how I make my decisions when I'm in the mountains. You know, for the most part, when I'm in the mountains, I'm being paid to be there as a guide. And that certainly makes up, you know, 95 or 99% of the times that I'm out there these days. So, you know, for me, that weighs on me, and I think it should weigh on any guide quite heavily that, you know, I, I feel like I need to operate with a substantial enough margin that I can confidently encourage somebody to ski there who's paying me to make the right decision. And so I think that's an even, perhaps even higher margin than I would exercise if I was by myself. Not to say that I'm, I would be a big risk taker by myself, but when you have somebody you know, who puts their whole faith in you, and it's not a partnership, it is, really isn't. It's, you know, somebody who's entirely dependent upon you and your decision, then, you know, it really behooves you to be very, very conservative. And also because I'm out there so much, I think that the way I approach the mountains on kind of a macro scale is really important. If I kind of live close to the edge and I'm always pushing it, that might work for, you know, a week or two or a month or even a season. But in the long run, if you live close enough to the edge, you know, you're going to stray and, you, and your mistakes will be, will have really big consequences because you are so close to the edge. So, you know, my kind of philosophy is to operate far enough back from that boundary that I can account for the fact that snow is this very mysterious and very complex medium. And despite anyone's best efforts, we're all going to misread it at times. And so operating with a little bit more cushion means that even if I do misread the snow, you know, I'm not so close to the edge that it's going to have catastrophic consequences. And do you think maybe some of that mysteriousness and your sort of, you know, your knowledge of that and how hard it is sometimes to properly gauge every time maybe is what gives you that sort of perspective when something does go wrong that maybe other people do not have? 
you know, when they when they make those kind of statements of, you know, what was he thinking or or he was so irresponsible. Do you think maybe that's the source of that perspective? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's absolutely true that, you know, the longer you spend trying to wrap your head around the complexities of snow, the more you realize how little you actually know and how snow is this like impeccable white canvas on the outside. But underneath there's so many factors and it's so dynamic and it's changing so rapidly, sometimes within the hour. And, uh, you know, the aspect and the elevation and the specific location and all these things can have to be considered. And, um, yeah, I think that does um, kind of leave you with a sense of humility about it. So I was going to say, there. I know there have been slides after I last talked to you um, and you read uh, on Graciousness for the podcast. Have you seen any... You know, I mean, it's going to be kind of weird to say positive developments in relation to fatal slides, but have you seen any changes in the way that people have reacted, or is it one of those things that you think if changes do happen, it'll probably take a long, a long time for for that sort of shift to happen? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't think there've been any kind of flashpoint moments since then, so it's hard saying. There were quite a few at the beginning of the season that I remember there was an accident on Togety and there was an accident on Jackson Peak. You know, there was a lot of commentary around those, but I haven't witnessed any in the latter part of the season, I don't think. So I think it'd be hard for me to say. I, I imagine it's gonna take time. Yeah, I think it's gonna take some time. But I do think as a, as a culture, we're kinda, or as, you know, as a, as a community of skiers, we're definitely starting to get to a point where there are just a lot of skiers out there. And because of, you know, forums on the internet and the opportunity for everybody to have input much more so than in a print era, um, I think it is something that is probably going to be talked about is how we deal with them and, you know, what, yeah, how we want to interact with each other in that in that realm when those things happen. Thank you to Zahan Bamoria for talking to me today and for reading his article on that earlier podcast. Also, thanks to the Avalanche Review for letting us use on graciousness. The music on today's show came from Strange Day and the Exist Strategy and was used under the Creative Commons license. I'm Scott Stunts. Thanks for listening.